Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boxing fans around the world, back for another episode of For the Love of Boxing on YouTube. And I got some announcements, internal announcements for the show. And then, of course, we'll get into our boxing events coming up this weekend, as well as coming up in the future. We got some exciting stuff headed our way. First, let me get it all out the way. If you haven't noticed, there's brand changes happening to the show. This is to position for the love of boxing in a different direction, but also strengthen it, grow it. There's going to be some marketing outreaches because I honestly believe that there are people out there that have an appetite for the way we do our coverage compared to some of the other ones out there where all they do is shill their favorite individual fighters and they're not neutral in how they do that coverage. Also, we have channels where it's kind of dull or boring, right? They have great content, but it's, it's dull. You don't really get excited around it. I'm telling you here right now, if you've not subscribed to For the Love of Boxing, I recommend that you do because what we're working on is huge. First was a brand change. And this is the announcement. This is the first time you're going to hear it. I'm going to repeat it every time we do the show because you're going to see YouTube change. And I don't want anybody who subscribed to get shocked or surprised. We're going to be changing the branding of the show. The show's web address, it has its own web address now. That web address is combattalkradio.net. Going forward, go to combattalkradio.net if you want our main website. We have a dedicated website just for this show. And then it will link you directly to the YouTube episode. But you can also send us comments, questions, feedback, because this is now a separate podcast, fully independent from the other ones in the network. So combattalkradio.net is what you'll see. This will be on the thumbnails going forward. Obviously, I can't change the ones from the past. That's okay because you can still get to our site from the CryptoTalkRadio.net. It simply takes you more steps. But CombatTalkRadio.net is now our site. And the show is now referred to as Combat Talk Radio. The program, as in what's an individual program on the show, is for the level boxing. This allows us to set up to do things in the future that we've always wanted to do. And so to give you a kind of a rundown of what's in my head, this show primarily right now talks every weekend about fights that are upcoming, different news, different coverages that we think are worth your time. We don't cover everything because there's a lot, but we cover the ones we think are worth your time when we know about it. Every Friday, that's our announced date. Sometimes we may do it out of cycle if we see there's something that's worth your time, but we try to hold to the every Friday. We're pretty, pretty good about it. We may do coverage on Saturday, Sunday, post-fight, just so you have the results and kind of our summation about how the fight went and whether we recommend you dial in and take a look at it or not. You've heard our coverage, hopefully, around Frank Sanchez and how boring ass he is. So we're trying to, if you're just like boxing regardless, then that's fine. But most of you are not there to get bored for 36 minutes or however long it lasts. You want to be excited. You want the energy. You want the energy of what it used to be. Those are the fights we try to focus on. And we predict where certain fights are going to go that way Obviously, we can't cover the undercards. Sometimes fights get snuck into the undercards. Sometimes they get removed. We're going to talk about that today. But we do our best to do as much coverage as we can. So, ultimately, that's for the love of boxing. It is a total view of what's coming, what's happening, who's fighting, and anything that we know that we think, and it's our opinion, that's worth your time and effort and energy in one place. And we try to keep it down to like 30 minutes-ish, but sometimes we go over because if it's an exciting topic, it's worth topping. We'll go through and take as much time as we can to cover as much as we think is worth your time. Other programs we thought of, we mentioned it before. One thing that's been in my mind that I've always wanted to do is for a big fight. We're talking a really signature big fight, like the upcoming Spence versus Ugas. I think that's a big fight that might be worth starting doing this because that's in April and that's perfect timing. We were thinking about doing a live commentary. We would actually commentary the fight as it's happening, just like in the old days, but it would sound radio style. This is something we're toying with. We may or may not do it. Here's what I'm going to ask you. If you are listening to this, I would ask that you submit on, if you go to combattalkradio.net, I have a comment form. I would ask that you submit feedback as to what you think. If you think that's a good idea and it's something that you would dial into to listen to, this will be a live broadcast, obviously. So it'll be our first time using live. The challenge with live is you have to request it and then you have to wait to be approved. Once I have it set up, you wouldn't see me and I can't show the fight, obviously, for copyright reasons, but you'll be able to at least hear the commentary. So if you're of that age 
who watched boxing back when you could hear it on the radio, you know, like the Howard Cosells in the world, you kind of get a sense of what I'm talking about. You didn't get to see it, but you got to hear it at least. And then later, if there was a rebroadcast, you might be able to catch it, right? But at least you get to hear it from somebody who's just talking it through as the fight's happening. Unfortunately, since it's on YouTube, that means you always have to have internet access because one thing in the future, and I don't know when, but one thing in the future I thought about getting to would be actually being on the radio, the actual, you know, FM radio where you could tune in and you could hear it live, just like we had in the old days. That's a dream of mine. Whether I get there or not, I have no idea. YouTube Live is going to be the closest that I can do. If it looks like it's getting some success and people are really excited about it, then I would extend it at least to Twitch at minimum, possibly Discord and whatever other outlet I can do for live audio broadcasting to kind of get an audience and see if audience are really interested in this, if there's something to that. That would be a separate program, though. That wouldn't be on the For the Love of Boxing. That would be its own program dedicated under Combat Talk Radio. If it turns out we get the popularity that I expect or I hope, then at that point we would spin into other forms of combat, right? We would talk about the MMAs. We would talk about even jujitsu, taekwondo. Like there's other types of combat, obviously. I would talk about those. I would want to talk about BKFC because I think I have a really good handle on how to score those fights versus other people. People struggle with scoring those, but when I watch it, I'm pretty clear about what they're looking for. So doing something like that and doing those coverages, obviously there's a lot to this. There's a lot of time, there's a lot of energy and a lot of money. And so I have to play it by ear. So for right now, I'm just letting you know, the brand has changed. We are now Combat Talk Radio. For the Love of Boxing is the show that you're listening to. That will continue every Friday, just like I did before. It will focus on boxing because that's what it is, as it's been. And then going forward, I'm going to be introducing potentially other programs under or other shows rather underneath. So this is what's happening now. You've seen the image change. I'm happy with the imagery change. I'm happy with everything else so far looking good. CombatTalkRadio.net is our site if you want to learn a little bit more about it and or spread the word. I would appreciate if you would spread the word to anybody who you think would be interested in this material, a different approach, a different voice, somebody who is not approaching it like a super fanboy but rather approaching it like you were chatting with your friends in the old days around boxing, you got somebody's just talking it out. If live becomes an interest, I'm interested in doing it, but I got to gauge interest. And right now we don't have the followers to justify it. So I also have to put a pitch out there just because of course we have three podcasts in our network and they are full on podcasts. We got basic cryptonomics. Basic cryptonomics also is on YouTube. If you're a YouTube fan only and you don't want to do the full podcast, that talks about cryptocurrency, some little bit of NFTs, but not a lot, but mostly cryptocurrencies if you're trying to get a little bit more money in your wallet. And then, of course, a gentleman's world. That's where most of the guests are. We just talk about any and everything, topics that I think appeal to general populations. So we've got a lot in the network, but the main one we're talking about here, combattalkradio.net. If you check out that site, you can check out the rest that's in our network. With all that, and I know that was a while, but I need to get it out of the way because this podcast now, it stands alone. You know, Batista, WWE's theme. Let's get into our boxing weekend here. Couple of things. Anybody that's heard me talk about Bumlanga, uh, Edgar Bumlanga, you've heard me refer to this dude. And listen, the guy has a look. I, I cannot deny he has a look. I cannot deny he has a presence. I cannot deny performance, general performance, in the ring overall. However, if you've heard me for any period of time, you know I am not all about the eye test, quote unquote. I need guys to actually prove themselves against somebody of a top caliber, somebody that's rated, somebody that's somewhat highly rated. They don't have to be number one, but they got to at least be on the highly rated tier list. And I consider Bum Langa not to be that guy yet. Will he be that guy one day? Maybe. But today, I don't see it. I see somebody that reminds me. He reminds me a lot of what Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. was before Chavez, I'd say arguably before Chavez met Canelo. Because it's like he has a look and they're kind of promoting him as this visually friendly guy in the ring. And at some point, he just hasn't, he just hasn't stepped up to that level that would just completely beat him <laughs> even if it's not a knockout but just somebody that just I don't want to say exposed because that's not fair because 
I don't think Chavez Jr. was exposed by Canelo. If anything, he was exposed by Martinez, by Maravilla. So as I look at, I don't want to say exposed, it just feels like Bumlanga needs to have that guy who's just that good that's going to show that he's not as good as he thinks he is against a certain type of fighter, if that makes any sense. Right now, he's got a padded resume. He's fought essentially nobodies. He's about to fight another nobody in Steve Rolls. The only reason anybody knows Steve Rolls is because Steve Rolls fought Golovkin. And then people keep trying to hype Rolls because Rolls had a pretty good first three rounds against Golovkin. But if you know Golovkin, you know that he pretty much gives away rounds early in the fight every single time. So it's not like we learned anything with Steve Rolls. That's not to say Steve Rolls is a bad fighter. That's not to say Bum Lang is a bad fighter. But there's levels to it. And ultimately, this is somewhat of a test that shouldn't happen. But as a test, if we see that this guy, Bum Langa, goes against Rolls and he's tested to the nth degree, which he shouldn't be, he should knock Rolls out in less than five rounds. That's not dismissing Rolls. It's saying if we go off of what we're talking about with Bum Langa, we got to say that he should just blow rolls out of the water. If, if, if what we see is true, that's, that's the way I perceive it. That's the way I test it. If he struggles, if he's taken to the task, if rolls is anyway successful against this guy, we know that there's, that he's not what he says he was. We can talk about the bicep and we can talk about all these things at the end of the day. We, this guy, Bumlanga, has been presented as this next big thing until he met Kosiris, and then all of a sudden he looks normal. He looks vulnerable. It reminds me a lot of Teofimo Lopez when he fought Nakatani because that fight, Teofimo looked normal. That's why I said that, really, Lomachenko should not have lost to that man. Lomachenko, Lomachenko lost. Teofimo didn't win. Teofimo didn't beat Lomachenko. Lomachenko lost. So these guys that are hyped or they look like they're the next big thing. Eventually styles clash come into play. They're going to meet that person who just makes them look normal. If that happens against Steve rolls, what I'd like from the community is to kind of tone down the hype on this dude. That doesn't mean that we don't cheer for him. That doesn't mean that we don't celebrate him as a fighter because he's putting his life on the line, but we need to calm down the hype on him. Guys like him, guys like boots, guys like, I'll even throw Virgil Ortiz in there to some degree. Virgil Ortiz has other issues I'm going to talk about here in a second. But I want the, the narrative, the hype, to just die down because it's unwarranted at this point. And no, we can't make the parallel against Tyson because Tyson's true hype didn't start until he beat Spinks. And that was not, Spinks was, Spinks was a huge level. He was a top guy. He was a champion. It's not close. Tyson went there and he did what he needed to do. That was that's what we want to see from Bumlanga is a top level type of opponent. I'm just saying I don't think we're going to get there personally. And if we don't see if we see against Steve Rolls that he's struggling even in the slightest, we've got to tone down the hype. That's all I'm saying. We can still cheer for Bumlanga to get to some level of success someday. One loss is not going to kill. I don't think should not kill his career. It's like we should be able to celebrate this guy and get him to a point where he's where he really is regarded and is worth it. And then we can look back and say, yeah, he had some fights in the past, but he recovered and he is stronger now as a result of having those fights. I just think there's way too much hype, way too much hype around some of these guys that haven't yet earned it. And that's kind of depressing to me. Virgil Ortiz, I talked about. Uh, Virgil Ortiz, has he was supposed to come back uh, on the fights that were going to happen this weekend, and people were very excited to see him back because he is, of course, one of the top guys in contention at 147. And unfortunately, he's had some medical challenges that just came to surface. He was having some, there were some things that weren't feeling right, and nobody knew why, and then eventually he decided to go in to see a doctor and figure out what was going on. We learned from his visit to the doctor, he apparently got diagnosed with rhabdomyolysis. And just so, because people should search it out and research, but rhabdomyolysis is actually not that uncommon. It's actually very normal, especially with the athletes, because it's not, it could be genetic, but it's really more about athletes. Because what happens is when you are exerting yourself, you're just doing a lot of exercise or just general exertion of some kind, and you do too much, what tends to happen or could happen. And it, some of it's age-related, which is why it's weird for him to have it at his age, a young guy. But some of it's just exertion. But what happens is 
your muscles, your muscles start to break down as a result of this exertion and the muscle fibers itself get released. And then some of them can go through to your kidneys and then your kidneys get jacked up and it's bad. The, the thought is that when you, when you are training and you're, you're kind of getting in shape for a fight that you're going to push to the nth. When you hear a lot of trainers, they'll say, you know, we got to kind of measure how much we train. We don't want to overtrain. We don't want to undertrain. You got to kind of have to time it perfectly. And you hear some fighters that are like, we train like five days a week or something, and that's not really healthy. Normally, you're going to train a couple days a week, take some days off to let your body rest. And anybody that's doing any sort of like regular strength training or anything will tell you, you do kind of circuits, you'll do training and then you kind of tone it back because you need your body to rest. You need your muscles to build and recover and relax. But you also can get rhabdomyolysis from certain medications. They might trigger it and you wouldn't know it. Um, shock, not shock like cold, but like if you were shocked, electric shock could do it. Sometimes medication, sometimes you take a medication that's rare, but it could happen. And then again, it could be that you have some sort of a disorder that caused it, or you might be infected. So one theory is that you could, as a byproduct of COVID, because I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe Virgil Ortiz did catch COVID at one point. That could also have opened the door to it at minimum, because in terms of how he would have caught it, there could have been a correlation there, because if he had it and he was still working out while he was still subject to it and he was kind of pushing through it, that might have been a symptom. But it's, it's, it's not actually uncommon. It's a, it's a common thing, but it can lead to very serious, serious problems if you don't take care of it and do something about it when it gets caught. If you've ever, and some of you may not have, but if you've ever gone through and you felt just weird, your muscles feel weird, stiff, or just general weak, and I'm not talking about the stiffness you feel like after you've worked out or something. That's not what I refer to. I'm just talking about you just, for no reason, it just feels a general muscle weirdness that could be rhabdomyolysis and it's something you should get checked out. So Virgil Ortiz was diagnosed with that. And as a result, he's not going to be fighting and his replacements put in place to, uh, for the event. And then Blair, the Flair Cobbs, who I'm going to talk about in a second was elevated to the main event. I think rightfully so he deserves it. He's fought enough to kind of get one shot, uh, and get in front of the fans, but we wish Virgil Ortiz. Well, it's a serious thing. We, I'm pretty sure he'll be okay because he's a young guy. But it's it's it got some headlines because it came out of nowhere and he was en route to coming back, hopefully strong. Let's talk about the fight of the hour uh, happening tomorrow on uh, DAZN Golden Boy. This one, I'm talking about it now because I'm so hyped about it and you should be hyped about it too. If you knew and you, if you're not following because you're just like, which fights are worth the time? I'm telling you right now, this fight's worth the price of admission. If you're not on DAZN or you don't have a way to get to DAZN, hint, hint, wink, wink. I'm telling you right now, this is the fight to watch. It is the, now the top fight on this card. It used to be that Virgil Ortiz and McKinson, I believe it was, was going to headline the show. It is now, and I'm going to switch the A side because it is what it is. Blair the Flair Cobbs facing Alexis Rocha. This is welterweight action. They are now the top billing on this fight. Um, guys like Bully Bechtemir is making his return on the undercard. It's good to see him back. But I got to tell you, if you have not been following what's happening with these two guys, you don't, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss this fight because it is going to reignite the fire. We're not talking one of those stylistic, boring-ass fights like a Frank Sanchez. We're talking here, two guys that want to take each other's head off, and I got to break down the reason that this one's so exciting to me. Outside of the fact that I'm a Blair the Flair fan, I'm a big fan of him because he can sell a fight. He can sell a fight, he can cut promos, and he stands out visually. So he's the like the total package. You talk about Bum Langa and the fact that he visually looks the part and the fact that he's knocking guys out. Yeah, but he doesn't sell like this guy over here, Blair the Flair, at all. But what's really going on between these two, just to break it down, these two have a lot of common opponents. And in the common opponents, the story of this fight is with common opponents between the two, we're seeing, okay, you fought him and this is what you did. I fought him and this is what I did. And let's just be clear here because I think it's important that we put in perspective what's, what's really happening. With Alexis Rocha, 
He has one, I'll give him two, notable names on the resume. Brad Solomon, he won that fight. Rashidi Ellis, he lost that fight. That's okay. But he has a he has a pretty decent, consistent performance outside of those fights. And Rashidi Ellis is a solid fighter. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize him for the loss to Rashidi Ellis because that that went by decision. That was back in October. I'm not going to hold that against him because it's Rashidi Ellis. I think Rashidi Ellis is one of those guys. He's just sound, even though he's not quite as young as one might hope or think. He's just a solid fighter that's there. He's in front of you. He's going to get take care of it, take care of business. And so I think personally that fight could, I don't want to say it could have gone out of the way because I don't agree with this, but I do think that Rocha had a good showing of himself in that fight. He has nothing to be ashamed of. So with that one, that's it is what it is. But when I look at Brad Solomon, Brad Solomon, Rocha got that done. It was a decision. I think Rocha had a good showing of himself, but he wasn't anywhere near what he should have been, in my opinion. And when I look at when he fought, when he fought Brad Solomon, Brad Solomon's been in the game for a good minute. Brad Solomon's a name. And by the time... Rocha fought him, I think Rocha should have been able to get him out of there. And I say that because Solomon was fresh off getting knocked out. I might have been even stoppage, but ultimately knocked out by Virgil Ortiz in December. That was December 2019. So Solomon was coming off a knockout, and then Rocha gets taken the distance by this guy two months later. That that wasn't a good visual to me. It felt like he should have been able to take Solomon out and he wasn't able to do it. Blair the Flair fights him in June 2021. So that's a little while ago. But June 2021, now Solomon's coming off a win. He was supposed to have another fight. That fight got canceled. But Solomon's coming off a win. It was a very good win. It was a pretty dominant win. I wouldn't say total domination. But pretty dominant win in February 2021. Cobbs goes in there June of 2021 and just completely blitzes him. Gets him out of there in five rounds. So the story there was, okay, you, this is one of the two guys that's good guys on your record. You went the distance with this dude, and I took him out. Look at what I did to him versus what you did to him. Then you talk <clears throat> Carlos Cervantes. Carlos Cervantes' fight, this was one of Rocha's standout fights, but Cervantes wasn't highly rated, and he's an older fighter. He got in the business late, so he's an older fighter. And I wouldn't call him a journeyman. That's not fair, but he's an older fighter. He doesn't have a lot to the credit. It wouldn't have been that huge of a win. And again, Roach is taking the distance. He's not going to take him out. This happened on the undercard of Canelo Triple G2 back in 2018. Cobbs goes in there, and this would have been a year later. And yes, he's fresh off a loss, but it wasn't a knockout loss. Cobbs goes in there, stops him in six rounds. So I don't think, I don't, I'm not saying anything negative about Rocha as a fighter. I'm telling you the story of the fight is when we look at common opponents, when you fought him, when I fought him, what the outcome were, was and what was going on with the fighters and then the top fighters that you did fight, ultimately you lost to one of them, taking nothing away from Rocha for losing, but the point is you lost to one of these top guys and then we got these common opponents, look at what I did to him compared to what you did to him. That was the story during the presser. Blair Cobb sold this fight. If you watched it, and you should watch that press conference, Blair sold this fight. He sold you on the fact he's here. He is a top guy. He's going to go in there and prove it. And because of the trash talk that Rocha was doing, because they were talking about Mexico and who had it tough, and you know Rocha's not really true Mexico because it's Santa Ana and all this. That was That's there, cool, but... The real thing is Cobb's basically saying, you know what? This ain't going the distance. You, your trash talking just earned you a knockout, earned you an ass whooping. That's what I expect should happen. I expect that Cobb should easily take him out. That's not taking anything away from Rocha. But Cobb's is on another level when he gets turned up. When he turns it on, he goes in there. Even if he gets dropped, he's going to come back and he's going to get you out of there. Similar to a Ryan Garcia type of fight. That's what I expect should happen. That said... Rocha is a crafty boxer, and it's possible that he could expose kinks in Cobb's armor. Cobb's has been dropped before. Cobb's has been hurt before. Cobb's has been outboxed up through the knockout period. So I'm not saying that Cobb's is unstoppable or unbeatable. 
He's had situations where he's been in challenges. He's had situations where it's gone to a decision against guys that he shouldn't have. But vast majority of what you saw from Blair Cobbs is he's he goes in there and he tries to get you out of there no matter what it takes. And I expect that he's going to be motivated because he's now the top guy on a pay on a not a pay-per-view, but a paid card. He's now the top guy. He's one of the draws. This is eyes on him. People that didn't see him before are going to see him for the first time. And I know he's going to feel like he's got to show up. Roach is going to feel like that too, but Roach has been in the spotlight, at least to some degree, pairing up with Canelo when Canelo's a golden boy. This is the first time Cobbs has had a chance to really showcase what he's about and back up the trash talk. Most importantly, can he back up all the trash talk that he's been doing? Because if he goes in there and he gets sparked out, which I don't think will happen, but if it does happen like a Nassim Hamid type thing where he goes in there and he's getting wrecked like he did against Kevin Kelly before he came back or he gets outboxed like he did against Barrera, if we see something like that where it's this stylistically brilliant fighter otherwise, but this guy just has his number, his I wouldn't say his career is over. I think Cobbs would bounce back and he would still go, but this is like a make or break in terms of the marketing aspect. Getting eyes on a guy to where people would want to dial and see him. Because I guarantee you, his persona, his character, his physical presence, everything about him is going to make casual fans dial in and watch him because of who he is. But he's got to get the right people watching him and seeing him. And I think the presser was a great start. I think it would have had a lot of people coming in to watch this guy for the first time. Michael McKinson, I talked about, was a, was supposed to fight uh, Virgil Ortiz and Ortiz's comeback. They had an opponent switch that was supposed to be Jesus Perez. Jesus Perez is now out because of weight issues. McKinson's had it hard. You know, McKinson's, he's he's a solid fighter too. He's I think he's from the UK or England. I should be specific, from England. I think he is. And he's a solid fighter too. He's one of those, he's not a dangerous puncher. But he's a solid, sound, roundabout boxer. He's one of those that you, he's like the perfect opposite of Blair because you don't have somebody who goes after knockouts in McKinson. He's a guy that's just, he's like a Frank Sanchez, but less boring, if I can put it that way. So if you look at McKinson's record, you're not going to be impressed. He hasn't fought anybody worth anything. He doesn't have a good knockout streak. He's just a guy that's stylistically good. And he is. And it's almost like it's almost like he's an evolution of what Lomachenko would have been had he not lost early to to uh, Siri Salido. That's what it feels like to me, but with less showboating, obviously. So McKinson now he's trying to make a name for himself and get exposure in the front to the United States fans through DAZN on Golden Boy. Uh, I I think McKinson's worth watching. However, a late replace, which is Alex Martin, and Alex Martin does not have that great of a record. I don't rate him at all. This is a soft touch for McKinson. He's getting criticism for the opponent. He doesn't pick the opponent. His people pick the opponent. Now, when it's a late replace, you have to kind of be careful. Like, Martin's not the level of bum that we saw with Hamed versus Saeed Wall. Like, it's not that bad. But Perez, he's coming off an extended layoff. Most of that's due to pandemic. Uh, he didn't even have a fight booked when this when he got the call. They just called him. The, the The joke is, you know, he was sitting on the couch eating, and then they called him up to come do the fight. Well, you could make the same case for Dan Schaumer against Chris Eubank. Like, sometimes these late replaces come in, or and in case Schaumer, he wasn't late replaced, but I'm saying these guys come in, and they look like they shouldn't have anything for this opponent, and they go in there, and they're able to just shock the world. That could happen. We don't know. But late replaces generally are, you know, you have some challenges. Perez, the weight apparently was a real big problem for Perez. And apparently Perez, uh, he was also coming off a long layoff. He had he was he had gained weight to the point like a Tyson Fury. He was big. Like obviously this is not this is welterweight, but I'm saying he just had massively gained weight and he wasn't able to get ready in time. And there wasn't enough notice. Nobody expected what happened to Virgil Ortiz. I'm not going to take anything away from Perez. I will say, ultimately, with Martin, this is a soft-touch opponent. But I do think that when it's a late replace, it tends to throw you off as a fighter. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised to see McKinson exposed ever slightly against Martin before McKinson ultimately gets it done. And it, 
I think it goes decision. I think McKinson will look good after some trouble. I think he has some initial trouble with the guy, and then he gets it done. And then, of course, eyes will be on Martin because he's able to do that um, because he showed up and he made the weight limit. He had very short notice. That creates risk on McKinson, no matter what you say. So I just think he's going to have at least a little bit of a showing for himself, and McKinson will get it done by decision. I don't think he gets a knockout. He could. He could get a stoppage, but we'll have to wait and see on that fight. And with Jamal Charlo, everybody's critical of Jamal Charlo because the chatter around social media online was that Charlo was allegedly going to be lined up to fight the top dog, the pound for pound, Canelo Alvarez in a two fight deal that didn't happen. And so now there was all these questions. Well, who's Jamal Charlo going to fight? And if you heard me, I said Charlo should fight people in his class and kind of prove that he's worth a shot at the pound for pound king. Places like NSB said that's stupid and Canelo should just fight him just because. And they don't understand A-side. They don't understand pound for pound. They don't understand the shot caller. And they certainly don't understand that Canelo has earned the right to pick who he wants to fight. And he's going to keep doing that because he's going after history. He's not worried about trying to prove himself against the latest eye test. Today, right now, Jamal Charlo is still eye test. He has a couple of notable wins, but predominantly he's eye test. I personally rate Jamel higher than I rate Jamal because remember, Jamel took a loss already. He took a loss against Tony Harrison. What did he do? He ran it back that next year, got the stoppage, which is what he should have done the first time, frankly. He didn't show up the first time. The second time, he went in there and got it done. Now, he got a draw against Castaño. Nobody agreed that that should have been a draw. Most people felt like Castaño did not do enough. However, he got it done to enough to convince judges that it was a draw. Most felt like, okay, Castaño got enough done. I watched that fight. I personally gave it a little bit to Charlo, but it was a close fight. I think everybody agrees it was a close fight. I personally had it for Charlo, ever close. I didn't agree with the draw decision, but I understand it. However, what's what's Jamel doing? He's running it back a year later. So Jamel he, t- first of all, he shouldn't have taken the loss that he did against Harrison. So that's number one. But he ran it back, and he got a more dominant decision, more dominant outcome after that, got his title back. And then he's going for supremacy. Because remember, Jamel, after he beat Jason Rosario, he became a unified champion. He unified the belt he had at WBC. He added the WBA, IBF, and the ring, which essentially made him lineal at light middleweight, 154. So then he, the Castaño fight was to be that last belt in the list, the WBO, because Castaño has WBO, and then the draw happens, and everybody thinks the draw is sketchy. It's the same thing as with Fury Wilder 1. It's like, come on, this is, you know, <laughs> this is an important fight. Why are you doing that? So I expect for Jamel Charlo to be that standout brother, which wasn't the case early on in their careers. Early in their careers, we assumed that was going to be Jamal, that was going to be the the breakout star, and that has not been the case. In my opinion and in my eyes, it's Jermel Charlo that's really been the standout brother. So now Jamal Charlo, he's fighting Saleki. Saleki is, of course, most known for having fought guys like Danny Jacobs and making Danny Jacobs look basic and average. So Saleki's a solid fighter. It's just we didn't expect him to be as solid as he ended up being. They were supposed to have a fight for Charlotte to fight Munguia, who's another eye-test fighter. And that's not to dismiss Munguia as a fighter, but let's be real, he's an eye-test fighter. That fight fell through. It didn't happen. So now we're here, and we're fighting this one with Saleki. And Saleki also has some... He had a matchup with Andre, who's another eye-test guy. And Saleki's been able to at least make these guys look normal. Like I said, Danny Jacobs, he made look normal, which is unexpected. Andre, he made him look somewhat basic, which was that was expected to me personally. So now Jamal, is, is he going to be able to knock this guy out? Because remember, with Williams, J-Rock, Jamal was able to do what nobody had done up to that point and really kind of destroy Williams, in my opinion. So if he's able to do that against that common in Salaki, then we can have the chatter around, well, look, Jamal's must be levels above. At the end of the day, though, I'm going to stick with my course that I say, Jamal has not been tested like he needs to be, and he's not stepped up like he needs to. It's not enough to just call people out. You got to do whatever you got to do to get that, go after that. 
because it doesn't make sense that your brother was able to do it, but you can't. Right now, today, Jamal Charlo, as I understand it, had he had the title at 154, he vacated the title at 154, and then he's been sitting on the WBC at 160 for, what is it, five years, four years? To me, that's unacceptable. It, it's, it's almost like Wilder in the sense that he's not testing himself to go after the other champions at 160. And instead, he's just chasing the money fight against the cash cow who's at 168. And it's like, why aren't you unifying the division that you're in, dude? What what the hell's going on that causes you to just sit on your merits in middleweight and not go after the the you know the middleweights that all have champions in your own division? That's Murata, that's Andrade, and that's Golovkin. Of those three, yes, I understand you're dealing with different promotional issues, right? But at minimum, you should be able to make a fight with Murata. Now, of course, we we heard that. Golovkin's going to fight Murata, and that's a condition for him to get Canelo. Okay, I question why that was the condition, and I question why that was the choice for the opponent. But regardless, it is what it is. If Golovkin can beat Murata, that means Golovkin unifies at 160 at least two of the belts, and then it just leaves Andre and Charlo. Then what do we probably see? We probably see Golovkin vacate and move up to 168 because he would have to fight at 168 to fight Canelo anyway, and he probably would just campaign there because Canelo's going to be on his way out, potentially to go to 175. That's my theory. I could be way wrong. Ultimately, I'm saying that we got guys at 160, and they're really not fighting each other. Uh, and the thing is, they're not undefeated, so it's not like they're preserving an O. I mean, you could say that about Andre, you could say that about Charlo, you could say that about Maguia, but generally speaking, they're not protecting their O. Murata's got losses, Liam Smith took losses, Dervinchenko took losses, Liam Williams took losses, Rob Brandt took losses, Golovkin has a loss, Eubank Jr. has losses, so it's not like there's O preservation. There's no reason why these fights aren't happening. It doesn't make any sense to me of why these guys aren't fighting each other and then you got Alan Conley. He's somewhat new to the division. He hasn't been tested yet. Felix Cash is an eye test fighter. He's somewhat new, hasn't been tested yet. So we don't really know what the heck is going on. I don't know what the heck is going on at 160. 160 feels fragmented worse than welterweight because at least at welterweight, Spence has two of the titles, and we're about to get to a third in there. And theoretically, we should be able to contest for the ring. And if it contests for the ring, we theoretically can crown a new lineal champion because Ugas is highly ranked, he's, I think, number three. So welterweight at least has made some progress, and it used to be the one where things were kind of sitting and not moving forward. But now we're able to get something there, and with 160, we're just not seeing it. And I don't, I don't, know, I don't know why that became a thing. I don't know why that made any sense, <laughs> frankly. Um, right now, Errol Spence is number one at welterweight, predominantly because there's nobody else there that can, we can arguably say nobody can touch him. We can't say the same at 160. If you look at those guys, we can't say with certainty that any of them are better than the others. We suspect that Golovkin's on the decline. We suspect that Jamal Charlo is better. We suspect that Eubank Jr. could be a threat, but we it's all theory. No, nothing's been proven and we're not doing anything. And that's kind of weird. So, the Salehi fight doesn't move the needle for me. I suspect Charlo sparks him out sometime in seven rounds. I could be way off, and Salehi could make him look basic like he did other people because maybe he's just that awkward of a fighter. But I think Charlo takes him out with ease, and it doesn't really prove anything with Charlo. And we wait potentially another year before we see Charlo tested or Charlo decides to move up. If Charlo moves up, he's not going to get the knockouts he was doing, but maybe that's his only option at this point. Sergey Kovalev, he's making a comeback, and he's been out a long time, dude. It's like, what, almost three years uh, since the, I'm pretty sure the Canelo loss was the last, and then he, either he decided to retire or he decided that he was, that he was thinking about retiring. Something happened where he was out, and maybe, maybe, maybe it's, I don't know, but that's, that's what's going to happen here. He's coming back. And this is in May. It's not now, but the announcement was recent. He's coming back, and he's going to fight a different guy named Pulev, who's undefeated, and it's going to happen at cruiserweight. So remember, Kovalev had campaigned at times at heavyweight division, or light heavyweight rather. Now he's going to be fighting at cruiserweight. So he's he's feeling like he'll have the power back because he thinks that harmed him against Canelo. 
I don't think it's an exciting thing. I, I question why he's feeling like he's coming back, but it could be that he just sees that there's a Canelo fight on the horizon because Canelo's coming to the upper weight classes. I don't know that it happens. Uh, I don't, I question why he's coming back. I just, I think it's bad, but that's what he wants to do. I just bring it to your attention because maybe you're a Kovalev fan and you want to watch him. That's happening. Let's talk about Golovkin, Mr. Triple G, Mr. Big Dramajo. So Golovkin, if you listen to this man in the past, he has repeatedly, repeatedly trashed Canelo after he ran out of the ring in halfway tears after he lost in the second fight. And I had Golovkin winning the first fight. I had Golovkin losing the second fight, both close. I understand the Adelaide Bird outrage and all that, but Canelo was walking this man down Mexican style in the second fight. That's what happened. That's why Golovkin ran out of the ring halfway in tears because he knows he got completely dominated. Now, Canelo couldn't knock him out because, for whatever reason, Golovkin just has a really rock-solid chin. He's very solid. He's never been seriously hurt. The closest that we can look at is against Darivinchenko, where it looked like Harvey Dock held the man up, and we can't prove he did or didn't. But Golovkin has been also in the media after, after that fight, prior to that fight, up to the build, everything. Things where he said, you know, yes, I still want to fight. But, you know, these these guys, you take these drugs, you know, these pills, you know, it's, I, my stuff is clean. You know, it's, it's not clean sport. He said all sorts of stuff to trash Canelo. Recently he came out and he's he's making it seem like he doesn't know why. Like Canelo came out and said, this is personal. I need to get this guy out of my face. I'm tired of him. He's talking too much crap and I'm sick of him. And I'm going to take him out. It's personal for me as Canelo. Golovkin, I'd say I'm a bit older. It's a personal thing. I, he said I said bad things. I remember that we shook hands and said good fights. You know, three, four years, he started to say it's personal. It's cheap. I said it's good to low. He's, this guy is in the wrestling business. They call it, he's acting like he's a baby face. He's acting like he's the good guy here. He said a lot of crap about Canelo Alvarez. And Canelo, if you saw what happened with Saunders, Saunders went up public and was talking all that about the drugs and that, that, that. NSB and everybody else is saying, well, he's telling the truth. The point is, you're saying things, as Eubank Jr. would say, very reckless things. You're saying these things. You're just pissing Canelo off. And we saw what happened with Saunders. He got his face smashed in for his troubles. To me, <laughs> this September 17th, if Golovkin gets past Murata, September 17th is the date that Canelo Golovkin is going to get resolved. The rubber match we say it's a rubber match. It's not really because Canelo is the one who holds a win, but it's a rubber match in the sense that we should get a winner and we believe it's not going to be Golovkin. So once that fight happens, I think Canelo is going to absolutely destroy this dude. Now that's assuming Golovkin gets past Murata, which I don't think is guaranteed. I think Murata is going to give Golovkin all sorts of trouble. Murata, I wouldn't rate him as a super top fighter, but he is a good fighter. I think he's going to give him problems. Golovkin. I think Golovkin's age is going to play a factor. I think Golovkin's going to be distracted, focusing on Canelo. So once we see if the Murata fight goes through, we're going to answer a lot of questions about where Golovkin is. And I'm I'm actually secretly hoping that Murata pulls it out and gets the win so that the third fight doesn't happen. Because I honestly think the third fight is a waste of time. And that's that's just me. I know the casual fans want to see it because they think that Canelo got or Golovkin got robbed. He didn't get robbed in the second fight. He got walked down Mexican style. That's what happened. It is what it is. I'm not going to say, sit here and say that one guy was deserving or should have gotten whatever. To me, no. This was not close. And I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and justify <laughs> that he deserved this. I don't think he deserved this at all. I think it's just hype and it is what it is. The last thing I'll talk about here, there's two points. First, Apparently, according to Bob Aram, and we know he lies whenever it suits him, but apparently, George CM Punk Cambosis had a signed or at least verbal agreement to fight Lomachenko next. That was exciting. If you heard me, you said, that's the one I want to see because I don't think it's guaranteed Lomachenko beats Cambosis. I don't, I don't buy that. We say that because Lomachenko, Comey, and the, the but we know Cambosis is a different level fighter and if he can exploit Lomachenko being too damn nice, I don't think it's guaranteed that he beats Cambosis. We expect he should, but I don't think it's guaranteed. I did not want to see Devin Haney. I still don't want to see Devin Haney in there against Cambosis because I think Devin Haney will stink out the joint en route to a boring win. I just, I don't want to see that fight. 
Allegedly, according to Bob Arum, that fight was signed, sealed, and delivered, but Lomachenko chose to go and fight in Ukraine. Now that creates a risk, two-part risk. One, is he going to be safe given what's happening? And then two, we don't know how long that war will last. So even if a deal was done, allegedly, we don't know when the fight can happen. Cambosa still needs a dance partner. He's got to get back in the ring. He's got to stay busy. I want to see him take at least some interim fight in the for now just to kind of stay busy. I don't want to see him just sit out and go stale like what happened with Tiafimo. When Tiafimo sat out and he wasn't fighting and he wasn't active and he wasn't doing anything, I think that harmed him. So I do want to see Cambosis get some work in. Whether that's, and listen, I don't want to necessarily see him against Jojo Diaz because Jojo Diaz stunk out the joint recently. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Comey because Comey, as decent as a fighter as he is, the way that he went out against Lomachenko, I don't want to see that. I don't think Ryan Garcia, a.k.a. Crying Garcia, deserves it. Fortuna, eh, I'm not really excited about the fight. I'll take it, but I'm not really excited. I think Linares, maybe, maybe that's a good name, right? But that's all he really would be for Cambosis. Linares is kind of on the way out. Um, Isak Cruz, Cruz might be exciting. However, I'm hearing that Isak Cruz is going to be fighting um, Gamboa here coming soon. That's, I understand why, but it's an unfortunate fight <laughs> because you're, you're once again, <laughs> I hate to say it, but you're once again feeding Gamboa. He's a name. Gamboa is a name and go Gamboa is going to come to fight. I just, I think Isak Cruz should be moving up, not down. And it feels like a move down for him. I know why they're doing it. It's because obviously common opponent would tank, but Isak Cruz might be a good opponent. I would like to see against Cambosis. That might be very interesting. That one, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Cambosis pulls that one out. Isak Cruz might pull that one out. Just, I just think he's, I think he's durable enough to deal with what Cambosis brings. And Cambosis is quick, but I think Isak Cruz, he'll be able to take it and walk through and cause some damage. At the end of the day, the fight I really want to see. If I can, is Cambosis versus Lomachenko, period. I'm going to hold that. I don't want to see any other fight. I damn sure don't want to see Devin Haney. I understand why the the mainstream wants that fight to happen because it's unification, easy. But to me, Devin Haney, it speaks like a crier. Uh, his dad is contradicting him in the public. They're not telling the truth. The first it's we'll go to Australia. Then his dad's like, no, we'll fight in America. And A-side demands and the, and the purse, they're asking too much money. I think Cambosis needs to get back in the ring, number one, period. We got to solve that somehow. Uh, two, the only opponent on the list I would like to see other than Lomachenko in the short term just to keep Cambosis busy, he's got to stay busy, would be Isak Cruz. I can't think of anybody else I want to see. If they make the Ryan Garcia fight happen because it's zone, then okay, but I don't think Ryan Garcia deserves that personally. Um with the fights he's backed out of and the things he's done, Ryan Garcia, to me, he should, like, I would be okay seeing Ryan Garcia fight, fight um, Comey, perhaps. Uh, something that he's not being put back in the front right away. It feels like Ryan needs one more fight to earn it back, if that makes any sense. So maybe fight the, you know, Comey and do that. Apparently, Ryan's going to be fighting Tagoe, and this is in April. So, uh, Tagoe, I don't rate Tagoe, uh, but he's a solid fighter, a very decent fighter, but he's regional. He's not fought excessively worldwide, so he's not world-class, quote-unquote, but he's been a world champion, um, so I'm not dismissing him as a, as a fighter. I just think at some point we got to see more from Ryan Garcia, and this Tagoe's not going to move the needle. I'd like to see him step up. Ultimately, I don't want to see Ryan Garcia in there against Cambosis. I don't think he deserves that. That's my point. However, we get to that. However, we get to Cambosis getting back in the ring. That's what I want to see. Let's get him back in the ring. Let's get him busy because he can't sit there without a fight. He's got to keep fighting, not just because of the the money, but the inactivity. I think it just harms you. And that's what we saw with Tiafimo. That's what I believe. That's what we saw with Lomachenko. That's what I believe. Like I think the inactivity is killing these guys. And, you know, now with some of the travel restrictions lightning, and you know, neither guy Lomachenko's different, but like Cambosis, he's has some travel restrictions. So that's harming some of his freedom, but he is able to get it done 
um, because of his status. So find a guy that's not subject to travel restrictions, that's somewhat ranked but not necessarily dangerous. Get a stay-busy fight just to keep things going, a stay-busy defense, maybe of one of the titles. Maybe take a mandatory, I don't know. I do want to see that. And then the last thing I'm going to cover, and this is in April, but I'm covering it here because I think it's important just to understand how big this is going to be. Of course, we know that Errol Spence and Jordanius Ugas is going to be fighting. That's going to be on Showtime pay-per-view. And people are not really happy about it. But as I said with Spence and Pacquiao, which didn't happen, but as I said, this is a fight worth paying pay-per-view. Not only because it's a unification, that's part of it. But Spence, I'm sorry, he has shown up every single time. People look at his Porter performance and they criticize him. But the truth is, that was the best Porter we were ever going to see. Porter came to fight. And that was before... Porter was diagnosed with two bad hips where that was when he fought Crawford. He fought Crawford with two bad hips. So we see a lesser performance out of it with, and that, that messes with you. Cause he learned about that when he fought Formella. Formella was his best, arguably his best performance of his entire career, Porter. But that was when he learned about it. Formella wasn't able to hurt Porter, but you got it on your mind now in Porter that I got two bad hips and you're going against Crawford. Who's this champion on their turf. And Porter still, he was winning going into the 10th as far as our card. So I can't say, oh, well, look at Crawford stopped him. No, Crawford didn't stop him. Kenny Porter did. Let's put that clear. And ultimately, Porter was winning the fight up through the 10th on our card. So, no, I saw the same dynamic. I saw that Porter was just a, a level above in terms of challenge for these guys, a step up that he's able to test them. He tests you. He's really the, he's Lomachenko's not the test maker. Porter was the test maker and he tested Spence and he tested Crawford. Spence was at his best in that fight because if you look at some of the playback, Spence was right there in front of him, right there with him in the phone booth, fighting with him. Whether he chose to do it or not is moot. The fact he was able to do it, I thought was brilliant and amazing. Crawford didn't do that in the first six rounds of their fight. Crawford fought at range trying to counterpunch for the first six rounds of the fight. That's what was causing him to lose. I think if Crawford had fought in the phone booth, he'd have got knocked out. Spence was able to do it and tangle, and he was taking shots. He was taking brutal shots from Porter, and he was still coming forward. No, Spence is a level above. The, the car wreck and everything else, the eye injury, I think that's going to play a factor. And I do think that Jordanius Ugas is a stylistically challenging fighter for Errol Spence. I expect that Spence is going to pull it out by decision. But I think people are not giving Ugas the credit he deserves. He's a stylistically difficult fighter for just about everybody he gets in there with. And he was injured against Pacquiao, and he was able to do that performance. I don't think this is going to be a cakewalk for Spence. I think he's going to have to work for that belt. And once he does, if he does what I suspect that he should do, then we'll have three belts, actually four, wrapped around Spence's waist because he's going to have IBF, WBC, WB, uh, WBA, and then the ring should go around because I think it's for the ring as well. And if he gets the ring, he's basically the lineal guy. He's the guy at that point. Well, we also heard that the undercard is going to be stacked. This is where the Isak Cruz and Gamboa fight's going to be. Again, I think it's a waste of a fight, but it is what it is. Uh, uh, Josecito Lopez is making his return under that. So that's going to be something, I think, worth fighting. Some of these fights are going to be uh, on the regular showtime as opposed to on the pay-per-view. So they're going to do the regular showtime and then they're going to do the pay-per-view. So they're different types of things and they're testing whether or not this is a viable model by putting like the regular with some fights with some guys that you know of. They're not necessarily top tier, but they're fights that you know of. And then you have the pay-per-view, but you've already kind of hooked them in there. So this I think is good. Uh, way to try to see if we can get interest in watching the event all the way through. In the old days, what used to be the case is d during the scrambler days, like when the TV would scramble, you would be able to see some of the boxing events in clear picture and then it would scramble. It would scramble at some point. And that would tell you when the pay-per-view had started. It sounds like something very similar as what they're going to be doing. So I think it's fine. I think it's a good thing uh, that we're going to see this we have to see though if people bite we have to see if they sign on to what's going to happen here I suspect it's going to be successful 
if only for the fact that because their promotion's really good in this and it's a unification, I think they're going to be able to get a lot of the uh, the naysayers to shut up because I think the fighters are going to show up and they're going to give you a very exciting evening overall. And the fights before it, uh, Francisco Vargas is going to be there. Josecito Lopez. Like you've got a lot of, and some people like NSB will say, well, they're just using Mexicans to sell it. Yeah, because that's brilliant. <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do is use the guys who have that backing, who have that, that country behind them to draw fans in. And then ideally their performances keep you there. That was the tactic it used to be in the old days of pay-per-view. And that's what it looks like they're trying to do. And I think it's brilliant. And we got to look at the numbers here because again, Ugas by itself doesn't draw money. Spence draws money. We know that the undercard's going to draw, but it's, they're not money fights. They're not on the pay-per-view. So we have to see, are they able to convert from the people that watch Showtime over to the pay-per-view? And then if so, it's good exposure for both guys. It's good exposure for Spence. It's good exposure for Ugas. And that helps build for the eventual final fight for getting Terrence Crawford in there against Errol Spence. Because now it won't matter that Crawford can't sell out a family dinner, as Spence would say. It's simply that Spence on his own is able to draw. And Spence will just say, like he said in that interview, we are hang on to take 730, whatever we offer. And Crawford's going to have to do that because that's the only way to make the fight happen. And Crawford, just like with Dillian White and Tyson Fury, that's the only way that we're going to get to this thing solved where we get them in the ring. You're not going to make the money you thought you were, but you're still getting more than you ever got before. Brokered off of something like this where they're kind of throwing all their chips in there to make this thing one of their highest rated pay-per-views. My only wish on this is I wish we could have seen, I know it's kind of weird, but I wish we could have seen Keith once upon a time Thurman come back and just take another stay busy fight just to keep his face in there. Even if he's not on the pay-per-view, but obviously the money he wants wasn't going to work, but I would have liked to have seen something happen here um, with Keith Thurman, just to get him back to get awareness back for him. Uh, Cause you got Cody Crowley on the, on this thing. And if you got Cody Crowley on there, certainly you could have got Thurman on here. I don't know. That's, that's my opinion. So that's our updates for boxing. We got a very exciting weekend uh, with Blair the Flair Cobbs and Alexis Rocha, I strongly recommend on the zone that you check that out. That one's the that one's the standout for this weekend, uh, easily. Bumlanga and Steve Rolls, okay. If you're a Bumlanga fan, that is what it is. That's ESPN. It's in Madison Square Garden in New York. If you're local to New York, you can check that out at the Hulu Theater. Uh, Rocha and Cobbs is in L.A. Uh, at the Galen Center. If you're local there, the other one I don't rate the other fights plural i don't rate them that much uh and mostly because i don't know where they're going to happen but there's a, a flyweight fight sunny edwards and muhammad wazim that's in dubai i don't know anything about either guy uh junior flyweight is yabuki and kenshiro tiraji that's in kyoto japan if you're out there david avanasian and askari metz i don't rate i i understand david avanasian this is in wembley by the way um that's a regional fight for a welterweight, I don't rate any of these fights, but if you're in the local area, maybe there's something you check out. Uh, BT Sports doing Avenesian. We don't know on the junior flyweight who's doing that one. We don't know on the flyweight who's doing that one. That's why I didn't cover those heavily. Next week, we got more exciting. Things are going to ramp up just a little bit leading into April, early April. But next week, we got <clears throat> fights at featherweight, cruiserweight, lightweight, junior middleweight, uh, the return of Tim Zhu. That's going to be a good one to watch. I'll cover that one next week. Uh, Burchelt, that's a good one to watch, I think. I'll cover that one. After that one, we got a little bit of action happening. Sander Martin, who's most known for exposing Mikey Garcia. Uh, Savannah Marshall's making her return. The week following, that's where Ryan Garcia, a.k.a. Crying Garcia, is supposed to come back. And then, of course, Erickson Lubin, Sebastian Fundora, Mikel Mayer, Mayer, sorry, and then April 16th, where we really get hot and heavy, you got Spence and Ugas, Connor Ben and Chris Van Heerden. I'll cover that when it comes because these might get rescheduled. Uh, Casimiro and Paul Butler in the uh, in April. Um, Tyson Fury, Dillian White's in April. Uh, Katie Taylor and Serrano's in April. Valdez and Stevenson. There's a lot in April. April's an exciting month for boxing. 
Uh, and then it kind of dies down ever slightly. And then we pick back up again in uh, June. So that's what I got for you. I'm telling you right now, I think it behooves you to dial into Rocha and Cobbs because I think you're going to see an explosive night on that one uh, tomorrow on DAZN or local in LA. Bumlang and Rolls probably won't tell you much, but if you're interested in that one, uh, again, that's on that's on ESPN, by the way, in Madison Square Garden tomorrow. Uh, they're ro- I think they're roughly the same time, somewhere around 7 p.m. Pacific is my guess. That's all I got for you. I will check in with you. I'm I'm certainly going to see Rocha and Cobbs because I'm a big Flair Cobbs fan, and I'm going to see if my prediction was right that he just completely destroys Alexis Rocha, and I'm cheering him on. So I will likely check in with some post-fight thoughts on that one. I haven't decided if I'm going to watch Bumlinga and Rolls as of yet. If somebody has any reason that I should watch Bumlinga outside of the way he looks, leave some comments. Feel free to like and subscribe and share. And again, our site is combattalkradio.net if you like the way we're doing the coverage. Check in uh, probably Saturday evening, if not Sunday morning.